Welcome to A Drink with a Friend. I am Seth Haynes. And I'm Tish Oxenreiter. Tish. Yeah. Let's use our NPR voices for a minute. Tish. Okay. How are you doing today? (laughs) I'm doing well. How are Mm, you? (laughs) Great. Fantastic. What is it that you're drinking? You sound like a sinister uh, villain from like a bad British movie. Um, I am. I was kind of. I was. I was. uh, Before you say what you're drinking, I was trying to channel the thoughts for my thoughts. Thoughts for your thoughts reference from Parks and Rec. Some of the listeners will know that. This is thoughts for your thoughts. Uh, Anyway, yeah, I have a terrible NPR voice. What are you drinking? I'm drinking an Americano, plain old black Americano from Summer Moon. I grabbed coffee with my brother this morning, which was very fun and Aww. a treat because we don't see each other as often as we'd like, um, even though we don't live far away from each other. So I just came back from that. He's doing great. Hello, Josh. He sometimes listens to our show, I found out. Um, so Americano for me. Yeah. Hey, Josh. How are you, buddy? He's not here, <laughs> so he'll just have to answer in the car. He'll answer in the car. Uh, all right, Seth, what are you drinking? I'm drinking just regular old plain black coffee from Hail Fellow Well Met, which is, Perfect. as the listeners know, uh, the coffee shop that's right below my office. And it yeah. is delightful today. And I don't know why today it's particularly delightful. I don't know if it's a new mm-hmm. roast. I think it's just their house roast. Nice. But I actually let it get a little bit colder than normal. Hmm. And so it's bringing out uh, some notes that I otherwise would have missed. That's funny how that would do that, but I know exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. And on a totally different note, um, so we have this event in our small town called Poppy Fest because we have a lot of poppies, whole mm. other backstory, um, yep. in the spring. So it's basically their excuse to have a festival in the spring. And so since we live in the town square, like the historic district, it's all right in our neighborhood. Anyway, so we were walking around and there was a booth. There was jewelry. I mean, there's a lot of these like artsy craftsy things. Anyway, I got to yeah. chatting with her and she was from Fayetteville. She came in huh. for this thing from Fayetteville. She makes jewelry. She was very hippie. It seemed mm. apropos. Um, I liked her a lot. But anyway, thought of you guys. So listen, if there's I, one I thing if there's one thing Fayetteville and the surrounding area does well, it's hippie. We hippie yeah. well. Now I will say, um, just north of us is a county called Benton County. And in mm-hmm. Benton County, um, that's the home of Walmart, the home of right. You know some some big other big businesses, um, and we love uh, some Benton County, but they don't hippie very well. Right, right. You've kind of got two different cultures there. Um, it is, and that's actually one of the things I like about it up there. But yeah, she was delightful, and I like your area, and it just made me think of that. So, well, all the people need to come visit both Benton and Washington County, and then you can tell us who hippies better and who business is better, and it will be very, <laughs> very, very clear. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's not subtle at all up there. Yeah, nope, it's not. No. So, uh, Tish, Tish, what's on your mind? Tell us, you tell me, what's on your mind? What is on my mind is a thing that I think about a lot, actually, but have been thinking about even more so. You know this. We've actually hinted at it on the show. There's this concept that came out, I believe it was 2009, so it was mm-hmm. a while ago now, called 1,000 True Fans, 1,000 True Fans. And it was coined by, I'm going to forget his name. You might remember Kevin it. Kelly, the futurist. Thank you. I knew he had like a double letter first name, last name. Um, And what he surmised in this piece that he wrote was basically 
in short, you don't need all the fans. You just need a thousand diehard fans, a thousand yeah. loyal, true fans. And he was relating this specifically to someone who's like on the internet or who is an entrepreneur or who does their thing. They create for people and they do it on their own. So it's up to them to like find the people willing to buy what they are selling in order to make some kind of living. And he basically shows the math and the st statistics to prove that you don't really need as many people as you think. You just need people who are really a big fan of what you do uh, enough to where they would buy all your stuff. And there's different ways to like tweak those numbers to where you you know, have maybe 10,000 lukewarm fans or 500, like I would kill for you fans. But the premise remains the same, right? You have people who really love your stuff and are willing to support you and you don't need as many as you think. And I love this idea so much, not only as a person who does work and who also does work largely on the internet, but I also just like this as a thing to think about life and not like regardless of what one does, um, be it, you know, working from home or just raising your family well or just having kind of a corporate job, there's still something to be learned from the thousand true fans. And so, um, yeah, before we get into it, I want to hear what your thoughts are because I know you're a fan of this idea as well. Well, the first thing I want to say is, is if you're going to have 500 I would kill for you fans, you probably need another 500 I would bury the body and not tell anyone fans. So I'm just going to, from a sociopathic perspective, I'm just going to throw that out there for the listener. Just cultivate a balanced audience in that in that way. That's true. So FBI listener, don't, don't put me on a watch list. That was yeah. metaphorical. Mm -hmm. Total metaphor. Um, yeah. Yeah, I really like this idea. I like this idea for a variety of reasons. Um, one, let me just say, first of all, I, I'm I'm awful at this idea. Hmm. Um, and the reason I'm awful at this idea is because um, the, prob probably I'm lazy. Is that fair? Is that fair enough? Uh, maybe I'm awful at this idea because um, I just feel like commodifying people in general is bad and a bad <laughs> idea. And so like claiming that I have you know, five true fans. Um, it's kind of hard because it feels like, like, you know, you're, you're sort of, yeah, commodifying people or like, uh, yeah. corralling them into a spot. So first of all, listeners be aware of this is not what we're talking about. We're not talking about commodifying people. So they buy every single thing that we ever put out there. Um, right. but, but what I love about the idea is that in, uh, an era and an age where we are taught that we serve the platform, Right. And the platform can be, you know, your Instagram following, your Twitter following, your Facebook following, whatever, all these digital sort of disembodied uh, avatars. This concept of a thousand true fans actually uh, roots into connectedness. Right. And, and the idea is that if you can actually connect with a thousand people, who will um, not just buy everything that you do, that's a piece of it economically, but who will connect with what you're doing, with with your ethos, with your, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, your, your guiding principles, your art, um, the things that you're all about, then you can create a connected uh, sphere of people that can be mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm. Look, I mean, here's the truth. I, and I think I've said this before. People talk about writing for a singular audience. You know, I, I write for God alone. No, you don't. That's 
Not, it's not <laughs> no. true. You don't do that. You write. Yeah. So, I mean, some people probably do in their journals and I do it in my journal sometimes. I was going to say, you do that in your journal. Yeah. 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 That's a total place to do it. But if you're, if you're putting stuff out into the world, you're doing it to connect with people. Right. And so mm-hmm. um, his idea is really saying like, listen, what you put out into the world is worth something. So charge yeah. something and um, and make sure that it's a value to your people and build relational connection around it and and don't serve a platform, serve people. And I really like that idea. I do too. I do too. And I think you hit on it really well. When we say uh, a true fan is willing to buy anything you sell, it doesn't mean literally with cash money. It can also mean with community, with relationship, with you know, I don't know, an idea that you are putting out there that perhaps might benefit their life. And it sounds transactional even when I put it like that. And that's not what I mean either. Yeah. yeah. Um, but because that's not at the end of the day what matters. Um, and I've been thinking about this because I have been in the stage, and I'm sure you've been here before too, where you're kind of just evaluating everything you're doing. And not so much questioning everything in a dismissive, like, should I burn it all down way, but just questioning like, okay, who am I here to to serve? What am I doing with my work? And how do I best, you know, not angle it like in a sleazy way, angle it in a way to where you have, you know, you're telling it slant, like our friend, Stephanie. Stephanie, that's um, right. Stephanie Smith. Likes to say, per... um Per Emily Dickinson, really. Yeah, and so, yeah. you know, if you if you want to tell things slant, whether you're a writer or not, you need to f- have a voice that has courage, that has conviction. And um, the way we do that is by thinking of who it is we're really trying to serve. Because if we're writing to everybody, if we're creating for everybody, you're really creating for nobody. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the whole point of this. So a few days ago, I'm I'm barely on Instagram anymore. Like I just do it when I feel like it, and I don't think about it much at all, and I don't strategize, and I'm great with that. I I feel no shame in that game. Um, but I decided to share this activity that I do that is not new. I didn't make it up. Tons of people do this, but it's the idea of creating your ideal reader. And I say reader because I'm a writer, but it could be your ideal customer, your ideal whatever, fill in the blank of what it is you do. And what you do is you create this fictitious person, but it's an amalgam of other ideas of maybe other people you know, or maybe sometimes it is a literal person you know, but you kind of write their backstory. You create this person with, um, real interests with real lives to make them 3D, you know, to kind of put meat on their bones to remind you that this is a person that has a real life, a real ordinary life, and they're not an avatar. Yeah. And creating this person as as maybe weird as that sounds helps whenever you feel oh, maybe I should point to me. It helps me because whenever I feel scared or stuck, I need to think of this person to remind yep. myself, okay, I'm writing for her. I'm not writing for this other person who's doing great work. I'm not writing for that person's person. I'm writing for my person. And should there, hopefully, will there be other people, nothing like this person I've created? Yes, I hope so, because it's great to have more than one reader, really, you know. Um, but when we think of that one person, then our writing becomes more slanted. It becomes sharper. And that's really what we all want because, I mean, there's so much noise out there that yeah. we shouldn't be for everybody. We don't want to be for everybody. Yeah. Um, that's exhausting. And so it's it's just a healthy way to, to be a person who creates things, I find. So that activity has helped me a lot. Have you ever done something like that? 
Yeah, actually, I I have done this. My friend Jonathan Merritt, who's also a writer, brilliant mm-hmm. writer, uh, amazing editor, uh, yeah. great journalist. He he has talked through. I've heard him talk through this uh, practice, and I can't remember the name of his reader, but he actually has a reader mm-hmm. a reader name, a name yeah. for the person, right? And, I do too. Yeah, and and his name uh, I think includes the word thoughtful. Um, and so when he sits down to write a piece, you know, he shared that he tries to, to write to the thoughtful person of faith, the person who's, who's not just like sitting there and going along with the flow and doesn't necessarily want, you know, chicken checkerboards with, you know, scripture verses on it, but somebody who's actually (laughs) asking hard questions and maybe not even getting good answers. Um, but, but when I heard him talk about that, I thought, yeah, man, this is really important and it feels super important. Um, particularly in the writing world. You know, you you see from time to time somebody will really break out and be you know, amazing. You know, it's it's all of a sudden they're selling books like hotcakes and they're doing really well and you'll begin to see a lot of people in the same, you know, sort of niche sort of begin to modify their voice to sound like that person. I mean, we we've yeah. been doing this long enough now that we both can probably think of examples, right? Mm-hmm. You'll you'll see a uh, you know a type of writing catch on, and then all of a sudden everybody's writing like that. Or right. um, in the fiction world, we've seen this too, right? We've seen somebody releases a book about you know zombies, and all of a sudden zombies are the new craze, and everybody's writing books about you know zombies um, mm-hmm. or whatever the thing is. Um, and and that's certainly a way to do it to chase the market, right? You can certainly chase the market, but there's a law of diminishing returns there. And, and there's also, uh, not only is there a law of, of diminishing returns, there's, there's sort of a law against the self there. You know, you're acting mm-hmm. in ways that aren't, you know, uh, authentic to who you are. So for instance, yeah. we had Shauna on a couple of weeks ago and, uh, she's written a great book. I guess I haven't learned that yet. I love this book. Um, she takes a very, interesting approach to the writing. It is like, here is who I am. This is my voice. And when you read it, if you know her, you're like, oh yeah, that's her voice. It's very Midwestern. It's very straightforward. Um, Her metaphors are choice, um, but not overplayed. Um, And I could read that and say, oh, that's good. It's raw, authentic writing that sounds a certain way. I'll try to copy that. Right. Yeah. But I'd be losing something of who I am in the process of trying to copy that. If I tried to write about a similar topic and a similar voice, I'd be losing some of the poetry that I was born into as a Southerner. And um, if I tried to write like, you know, Stephen King, I'd be losing um, some of, you know, what some people might call more purple prose of the Southeast and the Southwest, you know? And so for me, it's really important to look and say, I want to be authentic to who I am. And the only way I can do that is if I cultivate a readership that like, wants that. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that has been surprising to me in sharing my ideal reader with the caveat, you know, I say in the caption of my Instagram that uh, I hope that there are others besides her that read me is I'm getting a lot of, I mean, I didn't write this for the encouragement, but man, I didn't realize I needed it until I started getting it. It's like, oh, this is very validating that I am hearing from so many readers saying, you've actually described me. This It must be yeah. working 
because what you've said about this person is exactly me or it's 80% me or whatever it is. And so that was really validating. And I think what that says is back to the thousand true fans that when we write for everyone, we write for no one Um, and that there's plenty to go around. And that Mm -hmm. again, sounds quantifiable or like transactional. And I don't mean that, but like in the example with Shauna or uh, just with anything that's trendy right now, it's tempting to want to hop on that bandwagon so that you get a piece of that um, as though there is a finite amount And when you start remembering that there's a big, long table and that we're here to connect with other humans, and that's what we long for when we read stories, when we, when we hang art on our walls, when we listen to music, we're, we love the thing itself, but we're also wanting to remember that we're human and good art reminds us that we're human. And that's why we love stories so much, I think, and why we love to get lost in a story versus being told what to think and feel and do, um, that there's room for all of us to say what we feel called to say, what's in our bones to say. And we need to say it our way, not only because we um, are mis- not only because we can't all sound the same way, but because our people are missing out on what we have to offer if we don't offer yeah. it. Like yeah. we'll we'll miss out on the Seth Haynes poet if you try to quiet that poet in favor of something else. Yeah, and it's really hard too because listen, I know you know I can tell you the minute that I write a poem and put it on my Substack, I lose people, and and hmm. that's where you have to get really uh, choiceful and and committed to this yeah. decision of a thousand true fans, right? Because. Right. The truth is, if I write a war poem and I put it on my Substack and I lose, you know, thirty people, then those thirty people weren't in that group, and so every time a group leaves, um, whether you know whatever you're doing, whether it's your your uh, platform on social media, whether it's uh, your writing community, whether it's your business community, whenever people leave your fold you know, assuming that you've done good work and you've done the best you can do, um, mm-hmm. then all that really means is like, they're not your people and that's okay. Let them go find someone else who are their people because that helps exactly. you refine what you're doing to invite others in. And so let me ask you this question. As you have experienced, I'm sure, similar things, um, who have you identified as your uh, sort of your person? Mm-hmm. My person is a woman in her late 30s who just has a very ordinary life. But uh, one thing that kind of makes her different, I think, than – well, there's there's a, a lot of things that makes her uniquely her. But the way that she helps me write with more distinction, a couple things. is One, um, she has a proclivity for – older, more timeless things. And so she doesn't care about the latest trends or she doesn't care about the one TV show that everyone else is talking about and feels the need to to jump on that bandwagon, not because she's a better person, but because she just her her to watch and her to read stack is so long that she would just rather like what she likes. Yeah. And so as a writer, that helps me that that gives me permission to not feel like I need to jump on some trendy ba- bandwagon because mm-hmm. my reader doesn't really care about that. She actually doesn't want me to do that. She wants me to um, stick to the older, more timeless ideas because that's 
what she likes about me. The other thing that makes her unique is that she questions a lot of her cultural evangelical upbringing and she feels spiritually homeless. And she's, I, the word I can think of is she's kind of Catholic curious. Mm. Um, at minimum, she's kind of high church liturgy interested, even yeah. though that scares her. That scares her because of some baggage she has with what she's been told about, you know, whether that's like Catholics aren't real Christians or just that that stuff is extra and a little scary and, and woo woo. But she wants someone who knows both worlds and can share her thoughts and her experience in a winsome, jargonless way that that doesn't feel judgy or pressuring. Mm. Um, and good. so, yeah. And the other thing is I've um, created with this persona favorite authors of hers, favorite musicians, favorite shows she likes to watch. And that helps me remember that she loves art and what she wants is a story more than a sermon. And so I don't feel the pressure to say like, this is dogma, these points, A, B, C. She wants to learn through story. She wants to remember who she is and she wants to leave feeling better about herself, not worse mm -hmm. about herself. And so all these things make it so much easier for me to write. And I say this not because I've mastered this, but because I need to remember this. And I would say the final thing is um, something that I, I just kind of clued into recently about her is that she doesn't like social media. Mm. She really, she doesn't like the vitriol and, and the way it's affected our culture. And so this gives me permission to not feel the pressure to be on social media all the time or to always feel like I need to promote X, Y, and Z that even if that means like what you were saying, you lose people, I would rather have a really great Substack readership who maybe isn't on Instagram or Twitter yeah. or whatever, yeah. but they like long form or they like just the quiet. Um, they like words without that aren't captions or that aren't sound bites. And yeah. so I can do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that makes total sense. So you essentially your reader is you. Probably. I know. And that in some ways there's something to that. Like whenever there's I, there's a lot this, to that. I, there's a lot to that. Caroline Star Rose, fantastic writer. Love her. She's a children's book writer, middle grade and younger. Um, she's a lovely human being. And she told me that her person is her like 12-year-old self. Like yeah. she's writing for herself as a child. And so I think there's something really to it. I, a lot of times we end up writing for ourselves because we want to feel less alone. Yeah, I think the thing that there is to that is, again, going back to the authenticity piece. Um, I, I don't know what it's like to be a woman in her mid thirties who feels the pressure to keep up with the latest Taylor Swift or Beyonce album. <laughs> Cause I'm not that at all. And so right. if I tried to be that, right, if I tried to go in my writing or if I tried to go online and be like, Oh, did you see the new Taylor Swift album drop today? And here's what I think about it. Um, and listen, I like Taylor Swift. Fine. Um, but that that's not what I'm listening to. I'm waiting for the next Typhoon album to drop, you know? Right. Um, so if I tried to go do that for clicks, that's not who I am. And right. so I might be able to develop a 
base of fans, quote unquote. Um, but the minute that I go and then say, okay, now we're going to talk about Typhoon or now we're going to talk about this, you know, uh, war poem or now I'm going to talk about this novel that I just, I'd lose all those people because they don't, it's not what they want for the most part, right? So, totally. um, so there's a piece of it that's just like, hey, look, you don't chase clicks, you chase authenticity. And if you can do that, I think uh, the the more you can do that, I think the more refined your audience can be. And I think that that's true, not just when we're talking about audience, but I think that's true in our everyday lives of, of you know, cultivating friendship. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about what does this look like in our regular life? Because, you know, most of life should be pretty ordinary and very much offline that it's not about like you can curate every single square inch of your life so that you're only surrounded by things you love and people who you want to learn from. But how we spend our energy, which is pretty finite, um, we sh- it should be determined by the things that matter most to us. And when we know what that is, then we can not feel any sort of guilt or pressure to care about certain things that just aren't meant for us, even if somebody else it does or live a certain way. Or, you know, I think there's a lot to this idea of ultimately what this comes down to is authenticity and being yeah. who you're meant to be, really. Yeah. 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 I agree. So I'm curious, Seth, um, kind of as as I think of some of our listeners who might like to create, you know, they, they love art in whatever form speaks to them. Um, how do you handle that idea of whenever you publish something that, you know, you're meant to publish, you lose people. Cause the exact same thing happens to me anytime I, yeah. whether that's on social media or in my Instagram, I mean, on my Substack, I see numbers go down. Um, how do you mentally stay in the game when you see those numbers? Do you just ignore the numbers? Do you stay the course? Do you, I mean, what, what helps you? Yeah, I don't think it's smart to ignore the numbers either. Um, I mean, this is very, I mean, we're, we're getting deep, deep down into tactics and out of philosophy now. So I think, and which is fine. So I mean, I don't think it's helpful to ignore the numbers. So anyone out there who's building a business, who's writing, who's trying to, you know, do something on social media, like if you ignore the numbers and you start just being offensive for the sake of being offensive and losing people and you don't know it, you know, that that's not helpful. Or, or if you're so, uh, if your niche is so developed that like literally no one cares about it, then, you know, you need to know that too, if you're trying to build a business, right. Or if you're trying to build an audience. So, um, I, I have taken the approach of saying like, here are the things that I know that I'm about. And I'm very clear about the things that I'm about, right? So, um, and and if you took the things that I'm about and you line that up with my my reader, it would it'd be the same way. It's the same, you know, very similar <laughs> to what you said. Um, yeah. I'm not looking for overtly Catholic curious people. I'm just not. Hmm. Um, I am Catholic, and and I have strong faith, and I want to bring sacramental, you know, the sacramental worldview and sacramentality of the world. Uh, uh, to the world and and to the forefront of my writing, but I want to do that in really subversive ways, right? I mm-hmm. I want to create thoughtful pieces that make people say, "Huh, okay, there are good things in the world, and we need to pursue those good things." And then, if yeah. ever someone were to ask me, I would say, "Here's the philosophy behind that. Here's the theology behind that. Here's the thought process mm-hmm. behind that." So I I tend to write things that are a little less overt 
Um, yeah. And as a result of that, over the years, you know, because of the things I've written and the places that have published me, I've gathered a group of people who, some of whom, uh, really want me to write very, you know, evangelical front facing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so over the years, as I write things that are less that, I lose people. I watch them go away. And when that happens, I just remind myself, I'm a different person than I was 10 years ago. And I'm more myself than I was 10 years ago. And not only am I more sober than I was 10 years ago, which is absolutely true, I also know these are the things that helped me get sober and stay sober. The things Mm -hmm. that helped me get sober and stay sober were shifting my worldview to a sacramental worldview. And nobody could have told me that through, hey, here, read the catechism. It would have never right. happened. I needed yeah, to read yeah. it through stories and through, um, you know, essays and those and poetry and these sorts of things. I needed to read Chesterton. I re- needed to read Barry. I needed to read, um, you know, Gerard Manley Hopkins. And so um, that being the case, and that's what I needed, that's what I want to give to people. And so I give right. people poetry to the extent I can. I give them short stories to the extent I can. I give them essays to the extent I can. And, and, and when those people, uh, leave, I just want to say, Hey man, go find the people that are yours and, Mm -hmm. and, and enjoy them and spend time that there's so much out there. Like you really deserve as a reader to go find the people who are doing what you need right now. And, Mm -hmm. um, and then also you watch the numbers because there'll be times when I say, for instance, um, if I write a poem and I'm watching the numbers, I can immediately see, you know, 10 or 15 people, they're gone. Two or three days later, I may gain seven or eight people. And right. and I know that that's happened because of analytics and statistics. Again, this is very tactical. Um, I know that's happened because people have forwarded my piece around. And, and I have yeah. found a couple new people who are saying, yeah, I like this. This is actually what I'm about, right? And so watching the numbers helps you understand like, hey, as I write into who I am authentically, I do lose people, but I also pick up some people. It's probably a net wash. And at the end of the day, um, as long as I'm true to that authenticity, those numbers will stay fairly fairly flat. I mean, you may yeah. gain 2 or 3% here and there. You may lose 2 or 3% here or there. But those those numbers stay pretty consistent. And 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 also what you see, again, deeply tactical, is your your open rates go up. Right. Yeah. And so you've lost people, you've gained people, but more people are opening the email. More people are looking at your Instagram. Why? Well, because you're finding your people. You're sorting this out. You're finding your people. And that's the number that I feel matters more than anything because it's, you know, it's not a vanity metric of how many subscribers do I have? It's how many people actually want what I have to yeah. offer. Yeah. yeah. And and I'll tell you, I mean, if it's a vanity metric, like I'm losing that, um, which is totally <laughs> fine with me. I'm like, I'm completely, yeah. completely fine with that. But I, yeah. I look around and I look and see, oh, you know, so-and-so's got a massive following, these amazing things. And they're on the New York Times bestseller list. And, and I feel like I'm losing compared to them. But the truth is like, I'm not. I'm finding my people, they're finding theirs, they're running into a space that has a lot Mm -hmm. of people looking for what they're doing. And again, if I chase that, I would be inauthentic. I think about our mutual friend, uh, Emily Freeman. Mm. I love what Emily's doing. 
Like she is in for my money, I think she's one of the people doing ordinary I don't know if you'd call it ordinary, it's extraordinary, but like ordinary everyday spiritual formation um you know through newsletters, Instagram posts, you know, and 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 what I see her doing is uh, the work of recognition, right? And this is all about the work of spiritual formation is recognize where uh, God is at work in the world around you. And she does this, this sort of recognition really, really well. Um, yeah. She recognizes other people well. She recognizes the world around her well. Um, and she has a certain voice. And when I look at her and I say, okay, there is some overlap with what I want to do and what she's doing, right? People who care about spiritual formation, who care about recognizing beauty in the world around them, there's some overlap there. But if I were to take a run at uh, doing it as overtly, um, it, you know, in some ways, or if I were to try to mimic her voice, or if I were to try to mimic her Instagram channel or whatever, um, as a 40 something year old white dude who's not really speaking into that space, who doesn't have the education that she has, um, and, and who doesn't have the years of practice that she has, I might be able to build a flash fire audience, but I might not be able to, but let's assume I could assume I could build a flash fire audience in a year or two. I'd be so burned out of that, that I don't think I would want to keep going because it's not who I am. Right. Right. Um, and, and the reason that she is doing amazing things uh, I'd love to talk to her about this. Maybe we should do that sometime. But the way the reason she's sense. doing amazing things um, is because she is being authentically who she is. And right. people like that. Right. right? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, all that to say, I think metrics help you know, like, am I being authentically who I am, I am or am I just chasing the big hit? Yeah. Yeah. That's the best use of those numbers or studying those numbers, not as a metric of how valuable you are as a creator or, um, you know, or whether this thing you're doing is fulfilling, but are you doing what you're meant to do? And yeah. I will say for the listeners who are maybe on the flip side, who enjoy listening to other people, reading other people, um, to consider that the people you really and truly want to hear stories from and maybe learn from are those who are doing that well. And so I say this by way of illustrating a week or two ago, I got an email. I hardly ever get these. So when I do get these, they kind of stand out to me from a Substack reader who replied to a letter I wrote, not only telling me she was unsubscribing, but was telling me that she was really disappointed in me and some of the things I was saying and, Ooh. and, you know, like she, she gave a few, a few thoughts as to why she was disappointed in me. And my initial thought was like, why did you bother to tell me this? <laughs> and secondly, be well, grace and peace to you for sure. Go yeah. please unsubscribe. But um, to consider that, like if, if somebody is quote disappointing you to consider that perhaps they are just doing what they are called to do and given the message or the voice or the story that they are meant to tell and to not feel that disappointment when someone decides to be who they're meant to be, yeah. to not consider it as a personal thing or personal, um, I don't know, they're not doing it to disappoint you. <laughs> They're doing will, it to be who they're meant to be. 100%. And I, I would also say, like, if you're listening to this and um, 
you know, I'm not going to speak for you, Tish, but if I ever write something, do something that's disappointing, I do want to hear about it because I'm not hmm. above listening to feedback um, about, you know, disappointment or whether I've offended someone. Like I, I, I personally want to know those things. Again, that's that's part of my um, that's that's part of authentically who I am. Like I want to know when I've <laughs> done wrong, when I've hurt somebody, right? And so I I would prefer to get that if somebody leaves because they're <laughs> disappointed. I would prefer to read that because I think understanding your critics is also it's it's actually it's every bit as important as understanding who the thousand true fans are. Like if you could really yeah. understand your thousand true critics. And also have a thousand true fans. I think that would probably be the most helpful balance you could ever get because you could look and say, okay, is there some validity to this criticism? Are there things I need to change? For sure. I think it's important not to be in a bubble and not to be in an echo chamber and to make sure that what you're saying isn't genuinely offensive or flat out wrong. And you need to to be, you know, you need to keep a teachable spirit. I will say I do not want to hear um, from someone in specificity why they're unsubscribing and why they're disappointed in me simply because I, um, I don't have the energy and bandwidth for that because I care a great deal. If I am disappointing uh, someone in my community, in my, in my immediate sphere, one of my students, my yeah. real life. And so I, I want to make sure I have bandwidth for that. I'm sure I'm disappointing. I, it, we, we all just disappoint each other. That's called being. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But um, if there's something I can genuinely do about it, and if I hear from like a thousand people and all like within a short amount of time and all about a specific thing, then I'm like, okay, I need to listen to this. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, time for a come to Jesus moment. But just the here and now, like, I don't like what you're writing about now, because this is not meeting my needs. For me, I just want to say like, shake the dust off your feet, move on to another town and find your person who's saying what you need to hear. And that that's fantastic. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, To each his own. Yeah. To each his own. And I think that raises a final point, which is listen, we're all different. All the writers are different. All the writers I know are different. Uh, I have a different tolerance for things than Tish, than Emily, than Shauna, than, you know, any of the people that we've, we've uh, talked about yeah. on this podcast. So um, right. I think, again, that's part of like honing in on whose you are and who you belong to. And also, listen, I am a true fan of many, many people out there in the world. I am yeah. one of the true fans. Uh, Stephanie yeah. Smith, who we've had on the show, true fan. Uh, right. John Blaze, who drops poetry from time to time. True fan. I am a true fan of Wendell Berry. I am a, a true fan of David Mitchell, of Jesse Ball. I will buy anything that they write at any time ever. Um, and so I think it's also good to just say like, hey, what am I a true fan of? Uh, That's right. And examine that and to, to put your money where your mouth is. Amen. That's a great way to wrap this up for sure. So with that in mind, Seth, who is – well – Maybe I'm putting too much pressure on you with whatever it is that's adding more beauty to your life, but maybe it's someone who fits that bill of being someone you're a true fan of. But is there anything right now that's adding more beauty that you're like, yes, this is chef's kiss exactly meeting my need right now? Well, I will tell you, I am not right now reading anything of which uh, or any person of whom I am a true fan yet. Although I think it's starting. Um, I am reading a book called The Science of Storytelling. I'm reading it. It's by Will Storr. 
I don't know if you've read this book. Have you read this book? You've mentioned it two episodes ago, and I am currently listening to the audio version. Okay. Because of your mention. So I, I, and the reason, well, I didn't even realize and remember that I had raised it before, but I'm going to raise it again. And there's a very important reason for this. Um, because his run on theories of control and mental models in that book is just genius. It's so good. Um, and, and as I've been listening to it, I are reading, I'm actually reading it. You're listening to it. As I've been reading it, I'm actually making notes in the margin about, uh, you know, hey, this character in this short story I'm working on could benefit from a little bit deeper psychological insight here or a little bit more chaos there. Or, hey, this character that I really loved in East of Eden um, embodies, you know, this particular trait and this is why I love him so much. And and I think um, as I'm reading that book, I'm like, man, this is, this is such good work. It's really helpful for me uh, in my work that I've done with marketing and branding. It's actually very helpful in my legal practice um, hmm. just to think through like, hey, what is a judge going to think about the theory of control um, of my side of the case, um, even if they don't realize that's what they're doing. So anyway, it is a brilliant book. At some point in my life before I die, I would love to talk to this guy uh, yeah. because, wow, so good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm only like two chapters in, so I haven't gotten very far, but I love it so far. It's it's not like I thought it would be. It's very nerdy. <laughs> no, but no, I love it's it. very nerdy. It is. It's, so again, and you know, this goes to the point, like one of the things that I am about and that the, most of the people who like regularly read me about, they're like super nerdy. They have a dark yeah. side. They want to talk about chaos and lack of control right. and they want to nerd out on psychology and read dark short stories. Like, hey, that's great. Yeah. Will Store yeah. delivers in spades on that idea. Agreed. So anyway, Agreed. grab that book. All right. What is one thing that you're reading, listening to, watching slash whatever that's bringing beauty to your life? It ties in really well with this idea of a thousand true fans because one of my readers recommended this book to me. Um, so I will say two years ago. No, last year. Who knows? Time is a construct. Um, my Substack readers and I <laughs> did a book exchange where we were pa- we paired up with each other and we sent each other a book um, just for fun. Like this is a book that I like that I think someone else might enjoy. And it was a low pressure, like get it at a used bookstore. It doesn't need to be fancy. My person that was assigned to me sent me this book. I laughed when I read it or when I opened up the package and saw it because Tate, my daughter, had just read it and was gushing over it and was telling me how much she loved it and how she like cannot wait for me to read it so we can talk about it. And then several of my students all talked about like, have you read this book yet, Mrs. O? You would love it. You should read it. And so when I saw this, I was like, fine, I will read it. Of course, I'm talking a year ago, so it's been a while. Um, Mm. I'm finally dusting it off and reading it. And it is called The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue by Mm. V.E. Schwab. Never heard of this writer, but um, it's a YA novel. I have read some of her YA work. She's a very good writer. She's fantastic. And Mm -hmm. this is such a good example of great speculative fiction. I think they're making it into a movie or a series or something. Mm. It's so great. And it's, it totally scratches my itch. This is my favorite kind of writing. Um, 
And I will just read a little bit of the, the front flap just to give you a feel for it. It says, France, 1714. In a moment of desperation, a young woman named Adeline meets a dangerous stranger and makes a terrible mistake. As she realizes the limitation of her Faustian bargain, being able to live forever without being able to be remembered by anyone she sees, she, she flees her small village as everything she once held dear is torn away. Um, and it goes on and on. And I won't, I won't spoil it, but it jumps back and forth 300 years. Um, mm. between the 1700s and modern day. And it's just great storytelling. And I'm enjoying it immensely. So thank you to the reader who sent me her copy. Thank you to Tate for recommending it and to all my students for recommending it because everyone is right. I love it. You know what? And I want to talk about one thing for one second about that very topic of of Tate's recommending it, your students are recommending it. I have heard, or I did hear about six months ago, a lot of chatter on the social media about uh, how adults shouldn't read YA. And I was like, man, one, don't you want to know what the kids these days are reading? That's right. just the old crotchety adult should be coming out and being like, hey, what are those kids reading these days? But, yeah. um, but B, man, if you like something, freaking read it. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? C.S. Lewis says something about like, a children's book is only as good as if it, I'm butchering it, but basically it should be as good enough for an adult as for a 10 year old. It's that same idea. Like the good stuff is just good. Doesn't matter who it's for. You know, some of my favorite writing is like Winnie the Pooh. And uh, I mean, Madeline Langle's YA stuff. I mean, it's the best writing. I love it. Some great I, story I think we should make a drink with a friend mug that says, if you like it, freaking read it. I. I'm all for that because all right. Coming you soon. like what you like. Yeah, all right. you like what you like. Well, you can find this episode as well as all episodes at adrinkwithafriend.com. If you like this show and what we're doing here, many of you are doing this. We're so thankful. Help keep it going by picking up a round of drinks because at the cost of a cup of coffee or a pint, you can play a big part. Find the link to do this in the show notes of this episode or at adrinkwithafriend.com. And thank you so much to all of you who are doing that. We are grateful. You can find me and how to connect with me, especially via my newsletter. If you want to be one of those thousand metaphorical thousand people, uh, tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, where can people find you? They can find me at sethhaines.wait. Wait, wait, what is it, Tish? Sethhaines.substack.com. One of these days, I'm going to just freaking remember it. It's not complicated. It's not complicated. (laughs) Substack, man. You know, I'm so used to saying the the URL and then my name, and it's opposite at Substack. Right. Oh, that's true. Well, and that's mine too. Mine's tish.substack.com. So if you want to go straight there, you can, but it's linked at tishoxenwriter.com. All right. Anyway, music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenwriter. I'm Tish Oxenwriter with Seth Haynes, and we will be back here with you soon. Thanks for listening. Mm